This is lesson four, the Christian's authority over devils. And we want to look at what it means to cast out devils, how you and I have to deal with demons. We don't have to be afraid of them, but at the same time, it is an untruthful to, to lie to say we'll never have to deal with them, or if we deal with them once, that's it. We'll never have to deal with them ever again. That's a deception. The Bible does tell us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities. There is wrestling to be done. Now, he is a defeated enemy. We have to enforce the law. We have to enforce our victory. It's not that we have to go beat him again. We just have to constantly remind him that he's whipped. The Lord Jesus Christ said, occupy till I come. So the, this is like the, the forces in Afghanistan and Iraq. We're not fighting a war there. We're occupying. Insurgents rise up. We have to deal with them, but that's not a full-fledged World War III. That's an occupying force. So we, we just need to be alerted to what we need to do, how it needs to be, what it's going to look like. Let's jump into our lesson here, just to look at authority. Man was originally created to be the steward and caretaker of planet Earth. That was God's will from the beginning. God sent him so, uh, set him so, and God gave him dominion over the earth. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Notice our two words there that we have underlined. There's dominion, let man have dominion, and let man subdue. That is how God created us to be in the very beginning. He created us to be dominators and subjugators. He created us to be domineering over his creation, not each other. Now, some, some American wives, they're really good at domineering their husband and subjugating their husband, but they're a total failure when it comes to dominating the enemy and subjugating him. So you have the ability, ladies and gentlemen, to dominate and to subjugate. You just have to make sure you dominate the proper thing and you subjugate the proper thing. This was God's will from the beginning. He gave us that authority. He gave us that authorization. You have permission from God to cast out the devil, to dominate him, to bring him into subjection. You don't have to ask for permission. It's already been given to you. The police don't have to call in and ask for permission to pull somebody over. They have been authorized and they know you break the law. I don't have to call into headquarters or police department and say, uh, I just saw a car speeding. Do I have permission to exercise authority? Not at all. In fact, even in a gunfight, if they have to call in to get permission, they're dead. They would rather pull the trigger and then be put on probation and be tried than go home in a casket. Like sometimes they say in America, I'd rather be tried by a jury of my peers and carried by them. I'd rather be tried by 12 of my peers than carried by six of my family members, as in a coffin. So dominion, let's look at what that word means. To rule, to tread down, to subjugate to bring under control by conquest. There's no politeness here. <laughs> the Hebrew word does not have an ounce of politeness. Oh, please, Mr. Devil. Oh, please, if we can come into an agreement, some kind of peace treaty, some kind of accord. No, you, you put down by conquest. And that's how you have to view the enemy as your enemy. Now, in light of what we've been teaching recently in services, isn't it marvelous in a wicked way how the devil has talked us into viewing God as our enemy. And he, the enemy, is someone that we have to placate and pacify. 
We, the devil has been able to come into the church and totally twist truth and twist our understanding so that we view God as the enemy and we're afraid of him. And we view the enemy as maybe not the enemy and we're afraid of him. So we live our whole life in fear. But be, be, be very uh, leery here and be very clear. God gave you dominion. And that word means to rule, to tread down. That means you step on stuff. You tread it. You put your tire tread, your foot tread on its face. And you tread it down. You step on it. And you don't feel bad. You don't step lightly. You don't tread lightly. In America, we have the expression from the revolutionary times, don't tread on me. But it's exactly what we're to do to Satan is to tread on him. That's what the Bible says. You'll tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon thou shalt trample underfoot. Remember that passage? That's what the word means. The word subdue means to force. So you're forcing something. It doesn't want to. You need to be mindful that your enemy doesn't want to submit to you. We've cast out enough devils. They argue with you. I don't want to go. I, you, you can't make me go. You have to force them. They're not going to want to go freely. They have a home. They like their assignment. They like buffeting you, especially when they're successful, especially when they, they have it entrenched. They don't want to pull their hooks out of you. You have to force them. There's, there's no politeness when it comes to dealing with the demon realm. We as Americans have been poisoned or spoiled to think we have to be polite all the time. And now the politeness of, of just hospitality has evolved into political correctness. We can't even call a spade a spade anymore because somebody might be offended that they're holding a spade. I'm sorry, you're holding a spade. Would you rather me call it a lollipop? There's no politeness in dealing with the enemy. You tread down. You, it's the word subdue, to force, to keep under, to bring into bondage. Now, isn't that a reversal of how we see things now? The devil brings us into bondage, but actually the word subdue there means we're to bring him into bondage. Now, he's already defeated. We just have to enforce his defeat. We have to remind him. We have to deal with him when he sticks his head up. We don't chase him. We don't pursue him. But when he sticks his head up, it's whack-a-mole time. The head pops up, you're authorized. You don't have to, you, everybody's familiar with the arcade game whack-a-mole, right? You put the quarter in and there's this little matrix of little holes and these moles pop up and you're given a big hammer. And your job when the buzzer sounds is to hit every mole as soon as he puts his head up. You don't have to ask for permission. Can I, can I whack this mole? Because the second you get permission, it's gone again. When the thing starts popping up, you start hammering. We're way too polite as Americans. We, we, we lack, I guess in a sense, wisdom. Wisdom is knowing when to do what to do. And so sometimes we're impolite at the wrong time and we're polite at the wrong time. You have to have wisdom to know when to be rude and when to be tactful. And when you're dealing with the enemy, it's always rude and there's never any tact required. You just speak the word and you cast them out and you move on. But when we try to be polite and say, well, maybe he'll leave me alone or I, this comes back to the superstition thing we've been teaching on. I'm afraid that if I speak to him, it'll get worse. So then I won't speak to him. Well, speak to him. If it gets worse, it gets worse. But you can't have a peace treaty with your enemy. He will always cheat every term. You cannot have a peace agreement with your enemy, the devil. He will violate every term and take more ground. All right, let's move on. When Adam should have ruled over Satan, remember that first verse was in Genesis 1, talking about Adam's authority. When Adam should have ruled over Satan, he instead turned his authority over to Satan. That is not a good thing to do. 
Adam fell. You and I have to realize when we turn our authority over to Satan, we're going to fall. When we don't stand our ground and say, get out of my house. You know, you can exercise authority by changing the channel, by turning the movie off, by tossing the book out, by cleaning your house. That's how you can exercise authority. Adam was supposed to run the devil out of the garden, but instead he entertained it. Instead, he talked with it. Instead, he perused it and pursued it, which is a foolish thing to do. When he did not exercise his authority, he fell. Satan gained power to rule over man and to bring them unto bondage. Jesus redeemed man from bondage to the devil. Jesus purchased us back. Amen. Thank God for that. He also purchased back our authority for us. We know Adam had authority in the beginning. We know he lost it to the enemy. We know that when the enemy took Jesus into a whirlwind tour of the world and all the powers and the kingdoms, he said, behold, all power has been given unto me and I will give it to whoever I want to. And Jesus did not rebuke Satan for lying. You liar, you don't have any authority. Jesus didn't rebuke him because he wasn't lying. He truly had all the kingdoms in his hand. He was called the prince of Persia. He was called the prince of Tyre. He's called the prince of Babylon. He's called the prince of darkness. That's authority. The hobo is not a prince. The hobo is a hobo with no authority. The prince is the prince with a lot of authority. And so the devil said, I, if you'll worship me, I will give you all this authority back, which was a temptation and a shortcut how to get what Jesus came for anyway. And Jesus said, no, get thee behind me. I worship the Lord God only. And basically, I believe in his heart, he said, I'll get this the hard way through the cross of Calvary. So he purchased our authority back. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says, and Jesus came and spake unto them saying, all power, that is authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. You and I are authorized because Jesus has given us the authority to cast out devils, to resist the devil, to defeat the enemy. And whatever you're going through, you don't have to roll over and just take it. What you do have to be is diligent. Very weak amen on that. Whatever you're dealing with from the enemy, you don't have to take it. Now, Job had to take it. He had no authority. He didn't even have the name of Jesus. He didn't even have a scripture. God hadn't written any law yet. Job was before Moses, so there was no Mosaic law to abide by. You and I don't have to take anything from the enemy. But many times Christians submit to it because it's just easier. And it's so hard, really it just takes a lot of discipline to get the victory over the crazy thinking and to get victory over healing and to get victory over depression. Sometimes it's just easier to lay in bed a little bit longer. It is easy to sleep in. It's easy to have a messy house, but you don't ever have anything to show for that. You must be diligent. God has given every Christian every tool necessary, but that does not mean the Christian will use the tools. It would be a shame to have a garage full of every tool necessary and yet your car rust and fall apart because there's a lack of diligence to get into the garage and put forth the effort necessary to fix what needs to be fixed, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's your finances, whether it's your mind, whether it's your body, you can fix anything the devil has broken. But too often as Americans, we just cope. We're all guilty of just taking it. And what a slap in the face to Jesus Christ for everything he endured so we could just cope. We had one young man come here about a year or two ago from another church. He said, I want to be spirit filled and my church doesn't do it. 
And I said, why do you want to be spirit-filled? He said, I want to get everything Jesus purchased for me on the cross. And he came seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Would to God we'd seek deliverance from whatever is plaguing us. You have the authorization, but just like the police officer, we, we know that the negative stereotype of the police officer is this fat donut-eating cop, right? That's the negative stereotype. Too lazy to do anything. Well, a police officer who doesn't exercise his authority is no police officer. And we might could make the argument a Christian that does not exercise their authority with diligence and determination, they are no, no Christian. They might be saved, but they're not living Christ-like. Christ-like living is victorious living. You'll always be dealing with something, but you'll be dealing with it. Amen. So in this service, we're not necessarily dealing with people who are demon-possessed. We're dealing with uh, those of us who have been demon-affected. Attitudes, sickness, past hurt, past enemy victories in our lives that are still plaguing us, and we've just learned to cope with it. In this church, I teach you guys better than that. We don't cope with anything. We're going to change it, and the more you want it, the more you'll fight to change it. Amen. Mark 16, 15, and 17. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and these signs shall follow them that believe, and my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. So we have that authorization. Part of our authorization is to cast out devils, to deal with them everywhere they are. We don't go chasing them. I'm not going to go down to the porn store and stir up a mess. I'm not going to go down to the sex shop and pick a fight. I'm not going to go down to the, the demon-worshiping seance cave and, and wait there for the hillbillies to come worship the devil. I'm not, I got other things to do, but should the devil ever manifest and rear his head, I'm going to deal with him. And I've got enough fights on my plate to go pick new ones or add more to my, my plate. <laughs> I've got things in my body I want fixed. I've got things in my mind I want fixed. I've got things in my household I want fixed. I've got things in my church I want fixed. I have things in my region I want fixed. So I don't have the time to go chase this other stuff. But we've been given authority over the enemy to cast out devils. But you have to exercise it. If you don't exercise, you're just going to get lazy. Next section here. We are not to fear the devil or demon spirits. Rather, we are to confront them when they manifest and deal with them. Again, we don't go looking for demons. Don't pray to see a demon. We have victory over them. Amen. Don't go looking for them. Look for Jesus. We look unto Jesus. We don't look unto devils. Sometimes curiosity kills the cat and it does worse things to Christians. Leave it alone. When they manifest, we deal with them. We are authorized to cast them out. Luke 9, 1 says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Notice power and authority. One word means authority. The other word means dunamis, miracle working power. Not only are we authorized, but we also have the power to do what we're called to do. Police officers are authorized, but their power is called a 40 caliber Glock pump action shotgun, street sweeper, and AR-15 in the trunk. They have the power and the authority. Now, what's awesome is we have power and authority. Now, we do know that there are some demons that require more power to deal with than others, though you're still authorized. Jesus said of the, the demon-possessed lunatic boy, this type comes out not by anything but prayer and fasting. And what's interesting is Jesus Christ was able to cast that devil out instantly because he had just come from the Mount of Transfiguration for Jesus, a time of prayer and fasting. 
Apparently they were up there so long, Peter wanted to build tents for them to sleep in. He said, this is a tough demon. It takes prayer and fasting. Why? To build your power level up. Jesus Christ had all authority, but he couldn't cast out every devil instantaneously. There were times when the demons fled from him. There were times he walked in and they screamed out with a loud voice. And then there were times he had to have conversations with them like the gathering demoniac and said, what's your name? And he actually had to talk this thing out because perhaps the power level wasn't as strong as it should have been. Amen. Power and authority. You can have a badge on you, but if you don't have a weapon, some folks aren't going to respect your authority. And we have authority, but sometimes we don't necessarily have the power. I, I was attempting to cast a demon out of somebody several years ago, and they looked at me and said, you don't have the blankety-blank power. And I said, you better believe I do. I've got all authority. He said, you don't have the power. And that made me so mad. It took two hours, got nowhere. And then years later, I realized he was right. I didn't have the power. This thing was really entrenched. This thing was a lot stronger than me. I had all authority, but I did lack power. Amen. That's a whole nother teaching in and of itself, but there's something to go study if you need to. Luke 10, 17. And the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through your name. It's not our name. It's not the name of Chris McMichael or Engrafted Word Church or the Assemblies of God Church or the Baptist Church or your ministry or your last name. We understand it's through the name of Jesus. And it's not just using the name like the boys over there in the book of Acts. They said, we adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preaches. You can't just superstitiously use the name of Jesus. That demon said to those sons of Sceva, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? So sometimes even we spirit-filled Christians, we get superstitious with the name of Jesus and we don't really fully believe in it. We have to realize that's the name that authorizes us. We have to have that faith in the holy name of Jesus. If you're not careful, the name of Jesus can become so common to you, it just becomes nothing but a superstitious thing you do. Even though you are born again, even though you are blood-bought. And we start invoking the name of Jesus in some kind of flippant, just... I don't know, just common way rather than really believing in the name of Jesus. It's all a difference of the heart. You can, even the heathen say the name of Jesus, but they don't have a heart for it. Some heathen invoke the name of Jesus more than Christians do as a cuss word. There's no heart for it. So it's not just the word Jesus. The Hispanic community is full of Jesuses. But when a, a Hispanic woman calls upon her husband, Jesus, not Jesus, the Greek God, but Jesus, you know, Jesus, Spanish, Demons don't tremble, even though in their heart, what they hear is Jesus, Jesus. But it's when somebody says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that's when the demon says, oh man, he knows that name and he's activated it. We have to really judge our hearts to make sure we're not just flippantly using the name of Jesus. Amen. Subject there, our next definition to submit to someone's control. And what, he's, what the disciples are saying is we can make them submit to our control through your name. Now, when you make somebody, they're not willingly wanting to do it. You're, it's like submission wrestling, like jujitsu or mixed martial arts. Those guys don't want to submit. But if you get it, fight it long enough and wrestle with it, like this Ephesians 6 says, wrestle, you can submit them. We have cast out enough devils to know that without the operation of the gift of special faith, you're not going to instantly do it. 
You have to have a gift of the spirit called special faith to instantly cast out any devil. If not, you will wrestle with this thing. You will pray. You will declare things. It may take 15 minutes. It may take three hours. They said of uh, Norval Hayes, he once spent 24 hours trying to cast the devil out of a homosexual man. He locked himself in a room 24 hours. It took. That's some serious wrestling because those demons did not want to submit. And Norval Hayes is a strong man of God. Now, we're not always going to be casting demons out of people, obviously. In fact, I can't tell you the last time I had to. But we're always dealing with vain imaginations. We're always dealing with different lusts and temptations in our flesh. We're dealing with attacks on our marriage, attacks on our body, attacks on our business. It's the same thing. Though you don't see it, though you don't see a manifestation of someone growling or cussing or spitting, you see the symptoms of the attack. And by faith, you say, devil, you take your hands off my body, my marriage. I resist you in the name of the Lord. You get out of here. And it may not change instantly, but you keep forcing this thing to subject and to submit. When we cast the devil out of that girl at Teen Challenge who was on drugs, that demon, it, he revealed so much to me about how they work. He said, you can't make me come out. And I knew right Right, well, I could. I'm not coming out. You, and he, he didn't want to. And we had to force him. We had to force his hand and subject him. And sometimes what happens with carnal Christians, we pray for a day or two and things don't change. And we, therefore, we believe it must be the will of God for our marriage to stay crummy or for our finances to stay crummy or for our body to stay sick. It took me and Pastor Tim and Miss Sheridan three hours, excuse me, two hours to cast the devil out of that girl. Three of us praying in the spirit, laying hands on her, th literally thumping her with the Bible because it didn't seem to like that. Now, I don't, I'm not going to teach a doctrine of hitting demon-possessed people with the Bible, but that, I can't explain that, but they would put the Bible on her and that demon would scream, get that off me. I have no explanation for that. I'm not going to teach, you know, hold your Bible on, on the demon-possessed. I got there after they had prayed with her for five or six hours. So maybe a total of, uh, I don't know, eight or nine hours to get this girl delivered from several demons. It didn't want to go. And so therefore, we don't quit until we get our victory. And when you're dealing with something in your life, you don't quit because you prayed a month and it didn't work. You got to realize these demons have nothing else to do. They don't sit and watch television like we do all day. They don't spend half their life on Facebook like we do. They have nothing else to do but to wear us out. So you have to be tenacious. I got to move on here. This is a military term. The word subject is a military term, and you are the superior officer. You just keep that in mind. This is a military term, and you are the superior officer. The early church cast out devils. The book of Acts records that the early church also engaged in casting out devils. Here's some examples. The power of God was so strong on Peter, the proximity to his shadow caused demons to come out of people. Praise God. That's awesome. Philip held a revival meeting in the town of Samaria and cast many unclean spirits out of the possessed. So they're part of a good evangelist ministry is casting demons out of possessed people. But also what's neat to see is that people possessed of devils were drawn to a gospel meeting. He didn't have to go look for them. They were drawn to him. Something about the soul of the damned wants freedom so bad. For some reason, the gospel light draws folks possessed of devils. You think about Jesus and the gathering demoniac. The Bible says as soon as he set foot out of that boat, that man came running out of the tombs to meet him. That man wanted deliverance so bad that they sought out Jesus Christ. No demon in hell can keep people from finding God if they want God. Yet what's interesting is demons are very successful in getting Christians out of church. 
Demon-possessed demon people can't be kept from Jesus Christ, but lukewarm Christians can be kept from Jesus Christ. What's going on? What, why, why the difference? Those whose souls are possessed of devils, even they, they can't be kept from a revival, a gospel meeting. But lukewarm Christians who've been set free from the power, the devil so easily just distracts them from the house of God. Maybe their heart doesn't want God anymore. They got their freedom and now that's all I need. Well, maybe they get to enjoy some demon possession again too. Amen. Paul cursed a sorcerer with blindness because he tried to use sorcery to prevent a government official from being born again there in Acts 13. Paul cast the devil out of a fortune teller. A lot of Christians go to fortune tellers. You're flirting with the wrong spirit. A lot of Christians, we taught this Sunday night, a lot of Christians find the house prophet and turn them into a fortune teller, which is so wicked. We magnify the written, preached word of God around here over any gift of the spirit. We love the gifts, but the Bible doesn't say the gifts perfect us. The Bible says the preacher perfects us by the preaching of the word. The Bible says the word of God establishes us, not prophecy. But that comes back to that superstitious thing that's still in us. We want a word. If you want a word, there's the New Testament. There's the Old Testament. 66 books, nearly 32,000 verses. Uh, if I had my Google phone, I could tell you how many actual words are in the word. And if you needed one, just open it up and start reading. You'll get your word. Non-believers attempted the sons of Sceva. They attempted to cast devils out, but without faith in the name of Jesus, they failed miserably. The Bible says that demon-possessed man whipped them, beat them, and stripped them naked. That's seven sons, seven on one, and the one, one. <laughs> Somehow beat them, bruised them, bled them, and stripped them naked. And I'm sure they had some thinking to do after that. The devil is still active today. Times have not changed. Devils are still on assignment to provoke, harass, buffet, torment, hinder, sicken, and possess mankind today. The Bible teaches us how we are to handle them. The devil hasn't stopped. In fact, he's only studied us this much longer for 2,000 more years. And even worse than that, he, there's so many more distractions now to lower our power level. We all acknowledge the power level of the church worldwide is down. Our batteries are half drained. We're not as in love with Jesus Christ as we used to be. We're not as committed to him as we used to be. Right now in America, we have this plague called church hopping. Now, there's nothing wrong with finding the church you belong in, but a lot of Christians, Pastor Vaughn taught on this for many years, they've developed the ministry of the traveling Christian. And even now, as, as Timothy tells us, there'll be churches that will tickle your ears and nobody knows how to commit anymore. We just buried my granny. She was 66 years in the same church. Talk about commitment. Where else, we you know, this is where I'm called. Where else am I gonna do? We don't understand that anymore. We understand that if I get offended, McDonald's will serve it my way. I mean, the other church will serve it my way. Or if I don't like them, I'll just go to the other restaurant or church. We've taken the world's philosophy and applied it to churches. So the devil has not, he's not changed. He's only gained more power because the church has given him more. He's only more successful because we yield to him more. The Bible says in the book of James, we're to submit to God, resist the devil. And many Christians reverse that. We resist God and we resist his ordinances and we resist his commandments and we submit to the enemy. 
This community is a very evangelized community. These churches are great churches. They do a lot of street evangelism, yet nobody I talk to has any success in getting backslidden Christians into local churches. So this community is full of backslidden Christians. The devil doesn't need to possess them. They're already absent without leave. They're, they're of no problem to the enemy. So we need to make sure we resist him and we're as committed to Jesus Christ as ever before, more so than ever. We need to make sure we're just as committed to him as the Bush people in Africa, as the communist underground church in, in China that's terrified, as those that are persecuted in Russia and in the Muslim countries. We have a much harder row to hoe here because we're not persecuted that badly yet. We can still come and go as we please. We can still complain on Facebook and Twitter about what we don't like. And there's so many temptations here. In China, they don't go to the theater. They have to pray so they don't go to jail or go to the gallows. We have to make sure we're hungry for God, though he's given us everything. And we don't become spoiled brats here. The Bible teaches how we are to handle them in our personal life. This is how we handle de demonic activity in our personal life. Now, there is a very erroneous charismatic doctrine that says the devil can't cross the bloodline. That is ridiculous. How did those demon-possessed people come to the feet of Jesus? How did those demon-possessed people end up in Peter's meetings and Philip's meetings and Paul's meetings? They had to cross, quote, the bloodline. And they'll cross the bloodline of your house, too, and they'll come and visit you, too. Especially if you open the door and say, come on in, I'm in agreement with you, devil. But even if you do serve God, even like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there was given unto me a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. So there was given unto Paul, the great apostle, a demon. The word messenger there is an angel, angel of Satan to buffet me. Of this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart, and it didn't. He just had to deal with it. That's right. Amen. That's right. Amen. We don't have to, some, some Christians in America don't have to worry about that. They don't go to church faithful enough to get a buffeting spirit. <laughs> For some Christians, coming to church thrice a week is buffeting. <laughs> All right, we'll stop picking on American Christians. Let's get back to the word, Pastor. In our personal life, James 4, 7 says we resist him. We resist him. That's our first and foremost technique. That's our first uh, tactic. We resist him. James 4, 7 teaches us to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That is a Bible promise. My wife and I pray that all the time. Father, we submit to you. Devil, we even call him by name. You spirit of infirmity, we resist you in the name of Jesus. You must depart. And we do it actively. He will actually run from us is what the Bible says. Flee as in terror. To resist means to set oneself against. We must be against everything that is evil and demonic. Most Christians in America right now are not getting any victory. I can't get off of it because I pastor in America. You're laughing. Because we're, we don't resist everything evil and demonic. We want to be accepted by those that are evil and demonized. So in order to resist the devil, you've got to submit to God. But to submit to God, you've got to be clean. You can't declare, I submit to you, Lord, and have a dirty private life. Dirty internet habits, dirty movie habits, dirty music habits, dirty mouth habits, dirty Facebook habits. You can't say you're submitted to God and have that filth in you. That filth in your life draws the demons to you. Jesus Christ said, now hath the prince of this world come and he has found nothing in me. We would have to be honest and say, we can't always say that. The prince of this world will visit us and often he finds things in us that he sowed and we received. Because in times past, we didn't resist it and say, no, thank you, Mr. Enemy. I don't want to watch that kind of movie. 
No, thank you, Mr. Enemy. I'm not going to slander that person on Facebook. We must resist him. Not, I'm not talking about a big, snarling, sulfur-breathing demon. I'm talking about resisting temptations, resisting goofy thoughts, resisting paranoia, resisting suspicion, resisting goofiness in our head, resisting fiery darts. You resist that, and then he can't get any closer than those fiery darts he's trying to shoot at you. But I, I fully believe, and I can see it happen, the devil shoots fiery darts, and when he sees that you don't extinguish him, he takes another step closer. And he's, you know, he just shoots those fire. They're not doing anything about it. They may be totally clueless that I'm even here. And they take another step. Before long, you're just a tiki torch in the body of Christ with your head on fire. And now you're oppressed of the devil. He's on your back. He doesn't even shoot him anymore. He just pulls him out of his quiver, licks him on fire, and sticks him in your head. Then we have to set you free. Lay hands on you. Because you wouldn't resist the fiery dart from a distance. Resist steadfast. 1 Peter 5.9 adds something to this. 1 Peter 5.9 adds the word steadfast to our resistance. James 4.7 says resist. 1 Peter says resist steadfast. That means we will have to hold our own against him. He will flee, but be prepared for a return visit. The Bible says in Luke that the devil departed Jesus for a season. We know Paul constantly had opposition and buffetings and he would get the victory and then he'd just fall back into another opposition. We in America, we want it to be just so easy. And if you watch the news and if you pray, you can tell it's not going to get any easier in America. The 80s might've been the highlight of the American history. They're gone. It's never gonna be easy again. But there'll be all these shortcuts offered to you to make it easy. All these pacification and and terms of entreaty and peace accord you can have with the enemy to buy a false comfort. But in the end, as Jesus said, if you deny me, I will deny you. We were teaching yesterday for our telecast on Judas. And one of the things I taught that I hadn't seen when we taught this a few months ago, a few weeks ago, was the Bible says in Psalms of Judas Jesus said, I was betrayed, not by him that hated me, but by my friend. And the thing that struck me as we were teaching this yesterday is that you don't have to hate Jesus to betray him. Because Judas didn't hate Jesus. When he realized he had betrayed the innocent blood, he wept for it. He didn't even realize he had betrayed Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a Christ hater to betray him. That is what is so terrifying about the son of perdition and the spirit of Antichrist. We don't want to get anywhere close to that. We want to resist steadfast. Stand against Ephesians 6.11 adds this. Ephesians 6.11 teaches us to stand against the wiles or strategies of the devil. This means to sustain the authority. That's what the Greek word means. To sustain your authority. To occupy. To enforce. You're a guard at a door. Nope, I'm sorry, you can't get in here. Okay, can I get in there? No, I just told you, you can't get in here. All right. Hey, can I get in there? I've told you three times now, you can't get in here. But what many folks do, can I get in here? No, 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 can I get in here? All right. He's persistent, this devil. And he's consistent. We have to be more consistent. Steadfast, stand fast, sustain the authority. Verse 13 adds the word withstand. 
This is the same word resist from the previous two points. So Ephesians 6.11 and 6.13 says, basically sustain the authority and resist steadfast. These are cues and clues as to how we have victory over our enemy. You withstand and withstand and withstand and sustain the authority and stand steadfast. Ephesians 6.16 teaches us to quench thoughts. Uh, above all things, we are to use the shield of faith to quench the enemy's fiery darts. The enemy's fiery darts are just propaganda, and you'll believe whatever you hear enough. Right now, you witness in our culture such a great attack on the authority of God's word. I even read an article yesterday talking about, well, they're misinterpreting the passage in Corinthians about homosexuality. Totally butchered the Greek word arsinokoites, which is the word defilers of themselves with mankind, which is a polite way of saying sodomites. And they had a big article on CNN about how that verse was mistaught. And the guy was a psychologist. And I said, you're not even a theologian, you ding dong. What you did is hopped online and looked at a Greek lexicon and you made your own interpretation. We have never witnessed such an assault on the word of God as we're witnessing right now. Not just the heathen media, but even in our churches, the seeker-friendly movement, is dumbing down. One of our biggest preachers in the land just said on an interview I just read, he said, I think the reason church attendance is down is because we emphasize doctrine too much. You're an idiot and you don't deserve the pulpit. Read Timothy, Timothy, and Titus and see how many 20 plus scriptures refer to doctrine. No, church attendance is down in doctrine preaching churches because they're fulfilling prophecy and they're falling away because they don't want doctrine. They will not endure sound. So they go to your church, Mr. 45,000 member church guy. Still haven't grown a backbone. We've never witnessed such an attack on the word of God. And it comes to you and I to get us to question the word. We've got to quench these fiery darts with the shield of faith. Our faith is in the Bible. We believe the word of God above everything, even if it makes us look stupid in the eyes of the world. I don't care about the eyes of the world. They'll spend eternity burning through their soul in hell. Forgiveness. This is a powerful one. 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11 says, lets us know that walking in forgiveness is a must to keep Satan from getting an advantage over us and outwitting us. Verse 11 lets us know that unforgiveness is one of his many devices and dispositions. The Bible says in verse 12, it says, for we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. The previous verse says, let us forgive one another. Unforgiveness is a great way to defeat the enemy. Unforgiveness, harboring it, is a great way to be demon-possessed. Pastor Darren, my, one of my many pastors who trained me, when he was a youth leader, he had a, his prized youth manifested a demon one time in the Assemblies of God Church in Canada. And he said he cast the thing out and, and it was growling, this little teenage girl growling in a man's voice. And he said, how did you get in there? Because he said, I want to know how he got a hold of my prized youth. And the demon's voice said, because she hated. She'd been molested as a child and had harbored unforgiveness. But Corinthians told us before Pastor Darren experienced it that unforgiveness is one of Satan's many devices that he uses to outwit us. Got to let go of that. Tithing, Malachi 3, 10, 11. This is a good one. Says that honoring God with his holy tithe allows God to rebuke the devourer. Who do you think the devourer is? Tithing is a great way to, to fight spiritual warfare. The devourer, it, it, tithing rebukes the devourer for our sakes and causes us to prosper in the natural. All right, in the lives of others, we've got a few minutes left there. 
How, how do we deal with demons in the lives of others? Number one, we cast them out. This word means to drive out with the notion of violence. I've wrestled on the ground. I've stained the knees of pants wrestling with demons, literally. Just because just they writhe. They, they did it. They at the feet of Jesus. They writhed and foamed at the mouth. And he just looked at them and had a conversation with the parents. How'd you let this demon in your kid? Kids are under the authority of their parents. Amen. So you drive out with the notion of violence. It is, it is often a very, without the gift of special faith, it's often a very long, arduous process. That's why you should pray and fast before you do it. When someone wants free, you can cast the devil out of them. Satan is used to being cast out. He knows how to go away. <laughs> He's been cast out for thousands of years. He's good at it. He just doesn't like to. You can bind them. The Bible says to fasten with chains. That's what the Greek word means. Some people don't want free from demon power, so all you can do is bind the spirit that is operating in them. You see that in Matthew several times. So if they don't want free, you can just say, shut up in the name of Jesus, I bind you. And they just, it, you bind the power, it can't operate. The, the person may not want it free from it, but you don't have to let them keep manifesting. Not at all. You can loose them to loose something that is bound. And sometimes, like Jesus said, that should not this woman be loosed whom Satan has bound? So you can loose a thing. And you can pray for them. The Bible says, pray for those oppressed by devils and, and sin and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication of spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. When you see somebody buffeted by demons through depression or oppression, you pray for them. Every Christian will be ministered to by demons. Every Christian will be ministered to by demons. It's just part of life. Jesus Christ was ministered to by Lucifer himself. Even through his own disciple, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. We have to know how to deal with stuff. You can see when somebody's being ministered to by demons, they get oppressed, they get discouraged, they get downcast. In our society, we see them start cutting themselves now. They turn to illicit sex. They turn to all forms of debauchery. It's an influence of the enemy. The Bible teaches us to pray for them. You can't necessarily cast it off of them because they don't have anything on them, but they're being ministered to. So the best way you can oftentimes do things is to pray for them. Lord, let them stand fast. Let them resist. Devil, you let go of my brother. You let go of my sister in Jesus' name. Father, I pray that they would stand up and not want this demonic oppression, this discouragement, this strife. Some people I have observed pastoring, they just love agitation in their life. They just love drama. If you didn't, you would do something about it. But some folks, they just, they don't know what it is to have peace and they could never handle true prince of peace power. They, uh, they just like agitation and drama. So you pray for them, Lord, let them desire peace. That's one of the things you can do. Now, a section I just added that you may want to write down, and this isn't an all-inclusive list, but in the next two minutes, that I call this symptoms of demonic influence, not possession, but symptoms of demonic influence. Every one of us has been influenced by demons, whether it's through discouragement through depression, through sickness, through hopelessness. Maybe, maybe some of you in times past, you've had a devil cast out of you. I can't tell you how many Christians I've run into and they'll tell me once they get to know me, I had a demon cast out of me once. What? Oh yeah, yeah, I blacked out and next thing I know I was on the floor and they were saying, come out of him, come out of him. And they said, and I remember when it came into me and then somebody set me free from it. But that doesn't mean you have to have a demon. We're talking about symptoms of their influence. No particular order, but probably one of the strongest ones is fear. 
Fear is a symptom of demonic influence. If you live in perpetual fear, some fear is just an emotion at times, but the Bible tells us fear is also a spirit and we have not been given that spirit. Depression is a symptom of demonic influence. Depression, obsession. You can get obsessed with stuff, obsessed with revenge, obsessed with sex, obsessed with money. We call that greed, obsessed with even prayer. You can get so obsessed with prayer, you get weird. The Bible says you're to be moderate and to avoid inordinate inordinate affection. Now, not all obsession is demonic, but it could be an indicator. Unforgiveness, as we previously covered, is an indication of demonic influence. Paranoia. Folks who get paranoid, either conspiracy theorists, there's a microchip in my brain, the Martians are talking to me, paranoia, or they're always talking about me. That's an, that is a, a symptom of demonic influence. And, fi- and the last one I'll give you, this is not an inclusive list, but the last one is non-expression. When the devil binds up somebody, they begin to lose all expression. They have no joy. They have no peace. They have no laughter. They can't even really cry. They're just, their emotions is just a flat line. Non-expression is a, probably one of the most dramatic indications of demonic influence. When a child no longer has expression, something's wrong with that child. You can tell in your kid when something's not right. Dr. Sumrall points out even the doctors, when a baby is born, they spank that baby looking for expression. We come into life with expression. They're not a baby born quiet. And yet, when the devil gets a hold of our mouth, we go quiet. What's wrong? Nothing. You okay? I'm fine. We would call the word sullen. And it's one step towards this binding and this hunching over. That's an indication of demonic influence. Not possession, just influence. But that concludes this lesson. We're out of time. Next week, we'll talk about our final lesson on demonology called The Doorways to the Devil or how the devil gets a door into our life. We'll cover the occult. We'll cover Satanism. We'll cover drugs. We'll cover illicit sex. We'll cover imaginary friends. We'll cover music. We'll cover entertainment. We'll cover everything. And I call one section I call extreme emotions. We'll cover everything that'll open your life to demon possession. Because a Christian can have anything they want, even a devil. Amen. Father, I thank you for Sunday school. Bless these folks. Let us get ready for regular service. Father, may we have a much more encouraging service than just teaching on demons as we've done here. But Father, we thank you for the word and preparing us for the days at hand. Father, we will not be ignorant of Satan's devices. Bless our time here, Lord. Bless these folks. In Jesus' name, amen.